Welcome to the Realizing Revelation 7-9 podcast of Presbytery of San Fernando production. Realizing Revelation 7-9 means we are awakening to new meaning in Revelation 7-9, and we are working to make Revelation 7-9 a reality. I'm your host, Mark Fields, and this week, episode one, we get to hang with Dr. Juan Sarmiento. He's the executive presbyter of the Presbytery. Juan shares with us his personal journey of diversity as an immigrant to the United States. We get to hear how it feels for him to navigate matters of race and diversity in the Presbytery. And then we get to talk about the absolute awe and wonder that true diversity creates in worship. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Dr. Juan Sarmiento. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so grateful for this brother. He's such an encouragement to me. When I watch the ways that he navigates leadership, his own Christ following, it's such an inspiration. I see the intentionality. I see the ways that he's making difficult decisions and navigating so many different interests at the same time with love, with faith, and with hope. Ladies and gentlemen, today we get to hang with the executive presbyter of the San Fernando Presbytery. He is providing leadership and direction to churches and new worshiping communities, sessions and leaders all throughout the San Fernando Valley. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Dr. Juan Sarmiento. <laughs> well, thank you, Mark. It's so good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I always enjoy our conversations, and and what a pleasure to be here to talk about something that is so important for our presbytery and for us as followers of Jesus, as it is um, uh, the, the the reality of diversity and how we uh, live out that calling that God has placed upon our lives. Amen. Juan, I think for me, it becomes clear how knowing you, knowing a little bit more of your story, what it means, what diversity means to you. Would you share with us a little bit, because you are the key lead in this presbytery, a little bit more about this goal for diversity and your heartbeat behind that? Well, Mark, um, I was received into a presbytery about 22 years ago, and uh, historically the presbytery has sought to be attentive to the reality uh, of of the beautiful diversity in our communities. Mm. And at the same time, uh, the Presbytery has also felt bad because it's felt like, okay, we're not able to connect as we wish. What are we doing? So during the last two years, um, uh, it has been my pleasure to, to, to respond to God's call and the Presbytery invitation to come over. And uh, in one way or another, lend uh, both my experience and who I am uh, mm. What I bring to the table to uh, to facilitate that, to encourage people, to recognize that uh, the resources that we have um, in God's Spirit, in in, in the Scriptures, um, can can be more than enough to help us uh, move in that direction and and further reflect the will of God for us. Mm. 
that's beautiful. I, I love that. I love the your your respect and reverence for the work that's been done to get us here. Because I think for me, sometimes as a younger minister, as someone whose eye is maybe more uh, <laughs> keenly in tune with where we want to be and maybe where we aren't yet, I love the respect and honor that I hear in your voice about how far we've come or our call and what the aspirational values of who we want to be and this heartbeat to get us maybe to where we aren't yet, which I love that you talked about that unveiling where we can't further, that's the word you use to further reflect the kingdom. And that's beautiful. I think for me, like I said, sometimes I think I my I am not honoring the ways we're reflecting the kingdom now as much because I'm focused on the ways that we are not yet fully reflecting the kingdom. So I really appreciate you sharing that. One, for you, would you share with us a little bit about your cultural heritage, your racial background as it relates to diversity and race? Sure. Well, I was born in Venezuela, um, but I have lived most of my life here in LA. So, I mean, I, I, this is a place I love because of its own diversity um, mm. and because it's welcomed me in many ways. And in some ways, it has been challenging too. But I, I was born in uh, that um, Latin American country south of the Caribbean Sea that has you know, beautiful Andean mountains and uh, part of the um, Amazon rainforest. Uh, more than half of Venezuelans uh, will consider themselves to be morenos. That means people that have um, s- some kind of African influence, a- a- and and mm. I'm very proud of it in myself. Um, and so I came to the United States with a sense of call uh, to serve um, cross-culturally, what was called beyond my own culture, uh, especially in places where there are very few churches. But uh, coming to the United States, uh, uh Two wonderful things happened. One was uh, I came in contact uh, with uh, my wife, and uh, she, she's a second-generation Salvadorian, Central American, and um, realized that there were very different ways of speaking Spanish. Uh, and uh, and the other thing is I became part of, of, of this group of churches called the Presbyterian Church. Um, and, um, yep, I was asked to start churches I realized also quickly enough that Latinos, like most groups, naturally gravitate among uh, people that are similar, uh, among people that are similar. But um, that that gospel call uh, of going further and connecting beyond what what is familiar uh, is something that has really resonated with me through the years. Hmm. That's really beautiful. That's a very succinct uh, version of your story, who you are. And I really appreciate that. I didn't imagine that uh, a couple minutes in, we'd get right to this question, but you mentioned similarities and the ways that people are drawn to themselves in a way, to what they know, what feels familiar. So when you think about diversity in our presbytery, the invitation is really to something different Diversity implicitly, almost by definition, means that there are a diversity, there are difference of experiences represented in this one place. 
So when you talked about when you came here, seeing how Latinos were finding culture, creating culture, and creating worshiping spaces where there was a lot of things similar, where they could understand what to expect. How do you think that that plays into diversity in our churches? I would say both on the person who is of a different experience looking into a context, a worshiping community that doesn't quite maybe feel like themselves. And then how do you think of it from the perspective of the person in the worshiping context, looking towards a sister or a brother outside of it with a different cultural experience? Well, uh, I mean, it is natural for, for humans to seek comfort, all right, to try to want to be understood. And, mm, uh, mm-hmm. and so because of that, I, I think we do gravitate to, in, towards spaces where there is that. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a big element of, of, of church life is not only the sense of comfort that we have of finding people that understand us and that we could uh, uh, very likely understand, mm-hmm. but it is the sense of what really draws us together, uh, that is beyond uh, kind of the, the elements of culture that we that we could easily identify. And then, you know, that is, that is uh, a big factor, is, is recognizing, you know, not only there are certain differences with the people that I surround myself with or choose to surround myself to, but uh, I have been called to be part of a people that is um, beyond my preferences, uh, mm. that is uh, put together not by me, uh, but by, uh, in this case, by God's grace, uh, brought a, a group of people together uh, with a purpose, and that is uh, that we reach out, that we serve, uh, that we uh, s- somehow uh, live into the reality that we see in the scriptures of, of a people that was blessed to be a blessing, uh, mm-hmm. a people that is... Um, uh, that is part of what God is doing uh, around the world, uh, and and that is doing in our in our own communities here, in all their their diversity. Okay. I, what what I'm hearing you say is that we are called into this space and invited by God as a people blessed to be a blessing, and called to serve and look outward and be hospitable. When you said blessed to be a blessing, I'm thinking about Abraham and the first couple covenants that God makes with him. There's a few of them, actually. I'm thinking specifically of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 15 around his son. And um, and then again in 17 or 19, where now Abraham has this where the the institution of circumcision begins, at least in the biblical uh, explanation of it. But what comes to my mind when you say that is that in this part of the journey and in this part of scripture, it is one family. So it doesn't get more similar than one family. This is Abraham's family who's left everything that they've known to follow Yahweh. And so when you said that blessed to be a blessing, what I heard was like, huh, for most of the scriptures, even until Jesus' time, it's really this one people group, the Jews, 
in the ancient Near East, in this in this region of the Middle East, North Africa, that are following God. And so something about that just arose in me about most of this story is really about a people group, but then it opens up and that becomes a tradition that we're grafted into that God has drafted us into, which is this tradition of following Christ. And so how does that change for you when you think about, okay, we once, we once were this, maybe this is just the, the, the trajectory, the meta narrative of scripture is maybe aligning with what you're saying. Just maybe (laughs) is aligning about, Hey, yeah, we we are drawn to what's comfortable and what's what feels familial, what feels familiar, and yet Jesus changes that. So, would you share a little bit about what that means? A little bit more about what that means? I guess you've already shared a little bit about that. Sure. Well, for for me, um, I mean, it is a continued discovery. Um, uh, I mean, we are um, we are certainly being transformed in Christ-likeness, right? Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it is a process. Um, now, it has to be an intentional process. Uh, it, it is a process of, of saying, leaving behind uh, uh, some of the things that we find assurance and um, security in and finding a um, um, broader and I will say more um, uh, God-inspired, uh, uh, more Spirit-inspired sense of security in relationship um, with the other. Recognizing, recognizing, Mark, that, that only as we relate uh, to, to people that are different than we are, um, we, we also open ourselves to comprehend God more fully. Uh, so this is not only an optional um, mm. uh, uh, type of situation for for us as Christians. It has to do with the very essence of relating uh, uh, and witnessing to a God that being that being um, so in, in in our understanding so majestic and so fully um, different chooses mm. to relate. Uh, to us uh, in our differences and in mm-hmm. our realities. Yeah, I love that. When you say, when you talked about God's majesty and I saw just that awe and wonder in your face that uh, our sisters and brothers listening won't get to see. <laughs> but it made me think of even the word holy in scripture, meaning completely other. I'm not that. The gods that you heard about in Babylon, the gods that they brought you in Assyria, the gods in Egypt, I'm not that. I'm completely different. I give of myself. I complete the covenants all on my own. I give and don't have to receive. I love and don't hate. I do not return evil for good. All I do is shower good and love and presence. So I love that to me, that's what resonates in me when you, when you talked about that majesty, that is the God that we're called to reflect. And yet, like, even as I say that the church today isn't known for that kind of majestic, unconditional love. I recently did a poll of people and asked them, what is the first word that comes to mind 
when you think of the word church. And there were a lot, 85% of the words were negative. I, I mean, I'm thinking about corrupt, painful was one. There were some that were good. Community. I'm trying to think of some of these, the, the very keen descriptors that people would say. But the majority of it was hurtful, harmful. Mm. And, and I think that that has to do with the people that, the people that were connected that were a part of that poll. So for me, it's, we get this picture of this majestic, all loving, totally hospitable, diverse within God's self, God. And then this identity of the church that doesn't seem to live into that or not, like you said, it's fullest or further. We can further live into this majestic, awesome, wonderful, hospitable diversity. With that said, Juan, I want to go back to the question about how a church can become more diverse. We're on this topic of God's character and the ways that our churches are. uh, And it's funny because when I think of church, there's a picture in my head of Faith Press up in North Hollywood. So I see it the first. And the reason I mentioned that is literally that's the building that came to my brain. Mm-hmm. But the church isn't the building. So the church is the the Christ followers, the people, whether you're following Christ yet or not, that gather together in journey towards God, with God, mm-hmm. inspired by God. The original question, I think one of the first ones I asked was, so when you're in this space, how can you be hospitable to someone whose experience is different on the outside of that community? What would you say to that? Well, um, that's a great question that can be answered with, <clears throat> with very simply love one another, as, as Jesus taught us. Mm. But love, the embodiment of love, is, is mm-hmm. something that doesn't necessarily come easy. I mean, I brought uh, 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 to mind a, a passage where Jesus said, when you, when you throw a party, don't invite um, your, your friends. Invite those that, that probably were, are not part of your social circle. Mm. And I have to say, that's one of the hard sayings of Jesus that I wrestle with. Um, since, you know, I started to take my faith more seriously at the age 14, because I said, Jesus, you know, I want to follow you, but this is too hard. I can, I, I will naturally invite to my party, my people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't see Jesus necessarily saying, don't care for your people, right? But, uh, uh, but but I see Jesus saying, I call you to something beyond that, right? Mm. Uh, I, I kind of the very harsh words of loving one's mother and father more than than, than him uh, makes us unworthy of him. Um, uh, it, uh, it, it calls for a radical uh, reformulation of our relationships. Mm. And 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 in 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 seeking to express the the abounding love that God has shown us in Jesus, so 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 that radicality of that is something that we continue to live into. Now, let's face it, 
some some of us are called uh, or feel that church is a safe space where we go to hang out with people that are similar than we are. Um, and there's some of that. There's a sense of also in the character of God being a refuge, a strong fortress. Uh, there is that. Uh, yet, yet, um, uh, I will dare say that, that that propensity can also become an idol for us, can become uh, a, a, a false sell, uh, uh, source of security for us. Mm-hmm. And how do we break away from that? I will say it takes practice. It takes a lot of uh, 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 reliance on the Holy Spirit. It takes also <clears throat> seeing how others do it, the humility in the sense that, okay, I might, I'm, I don't, might not know how to do this, but God, I'm open. Let me, let me experience this because I want to not only experience you more fully, but also uh, display who you are more fully. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. I'm thinking of the personal invitation that that means for us as individuals. Because I guess what, I, what I'm piecing a part of what you said, I really appreciate what you're sharing because it feels so, it feels very visionary. And for me, I'm parsing some of it down into what is pragmatic and how do I do that in my own life. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things is, it's really, I guess I'm starting to think about like the process of like, it's almost one step to surrender my preferences. Surrender my desire for comfort is like step one. What does it mean to love my neighbors as I love myself? But it's surrender to love my neighbors as I love myself. When I'm loving myself, I put my preferences first. So if I love my neighbor in that way, then I'm surrendering my preference and prioritizing theirs. That makes me think of Philippians, I think 118, this the passage about Christ surrendering, who sought it, thought it not robbery to be considered God and gave of himself, surrendered, became flesh. And that surrendering preference, surrendering power, putting himself into proximity, into relationship, into kinship, into community with people, with humanity, one, and then the least of these constantly with people with less power, less opportunity, sometimes no power, no opportunity, complete outcast. And I don't like saying that in this term when we're thinking about diversity because people who are of different backgrounds, cultural backgrounds than us are not less than us. They're not least. They're not powerless. They do have different preferences. And somehow we're called to experience beauty beyond our own preferences. Like that's the invitation, it feels like. Certainly. I think I think when you talk about beauty, let me, let me uh, respond to that at uh, two levels. One... Uh, very practical. I, I was just part of writing a, a little book uh, with my friend Rick Snyder, mm-hmm. um, and, and and you might find uh, some more information about practical things you could do. This was published by Cyclical Publishing. You can find it in, in their website. Uh, the name of the book is "Making the Intercultural Journey: 
how the mm. local church can help heal cultural divides. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is um, certainly, I, I think it, it, our, our call to engage and to love and to grow together as disciples, followers of Jesus, uh, or otherwise, because some people might not be or consider themselves to be followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but to grow together as, as a community, say, um, you know, part of this city, part of this humanity, um, it takes, takes a great deal of security in, in oneself, of being anchored uh, in, in who you are in Christ, uh, who you are and your own identity. Um, if, if you are afraid of losing that, I mean, that could mm. be a challenge. And, mm. and the, the, the fear of losing yourself in relation to others mm. uh, can be detrimental to move uh, in very practical ways mm-hmm. in, uh, towards, towards uh, reflecting that vision, you know, of, of Revelation 7-9 that is so compelling yet so, so sometimes so challenging for us. Mm-hmm. Goodness. That's really good, Juan. I, I, I don't think I've heard it. I don't think I've heard it communicated that way. But also, one of the reasons I don't think I've ever heard it that way, because I've never been part of, I actually, I've never been part of the majority, the cultural majority, where diversity is going to cost me power, privilege, opportunity, and comfort that we're talking about. For me, I mean, I'm multi-ethnic. My mother's German and English. My father's black and Blackfoot Native American. And so for me... Like, I've never been in a space where I was a majority. So it's always me learning, code switching, understanding the cultural norms, and I'm usually giving up something to be in a space. Spaces Mm -hmm. aren't usually giving up something for me to be there. Mm. So it was was really interesting to hear you communicate that and to think for me, like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I, I don't think I've ever... That now that can't be true because I do have power and I am like I'm educated. I have different opportunities now than I've had before, and so there are spaces I walk into where I can choose to lay down power and privilege. I think of some of the work that we do with our sisters and brothers, and it's not work that we do with them or at them, and but we grow together. Part of for us reflecting kinship and God's kingdom in the world is to serve and care for those who are who are poor poor isn't the right word i think but i think it's a word that we use but the people for us it's particularly people who are in the houseless community they don't have a house right now they have homes and maybe those homes are broken or they can't get back there but they don't live in a house right now Mm -hmm. and so for me when i surrender what feels comfortable to be with my sisters and brothers there i'm surrendering something but I'm also experiencing so much more beauty and being reminded of God's heart in such a much more beautiful way. One, before you go on, I, what do you think is at stake? What are people missing out on if, if we don't learn to surrender our comfort, lay down ourselves as priority? What are we missing out on? Um, I think we are missing out on life. 
uh, really, to be honest, right? Now, mm. it, I do know that I'm um, speaking as someone that has lived in three different countries, uh, travel 80 different countries. So, so for me, life, is intrinsically related to related to, uh, to 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 being in connection and developing friendships and and finding um, uh, uh, the, the a deeper meaning to life and to the life the, in Jesus uh, together. Uh, so so I understand that possibly you know it, this might sound strange uh, for people, but I, I guarantee you I think when. When uh, I mean, you look at Acts one eight, um, mm. Jesus uh, talking to his disciples, "You will be my witnesses among people that are different than you are." Right, and mm. and, and we look at it just in the sense of uh, geographic expansion. But I, but think about it. I mean, it it it, it implied vulnerability. It, it implied um, a sense of not knowing whether what you're saying is going to be. Um, uh, uh, completely understood uh, by by the hosts uh, in those locations, mm-hmm. but but it is the very life of the church. Uh, I mean, we impoverish um, our own existence by by um, relegating ourselves to to just the same group of people, and by the same token, also by. Um, uh, contracting others, so to speak, the professionals uh, that that are, know how to how to do this. Um, you know, I'm all for organizations, uh, pirate church organizations, and many others that said, you know, I I'm able to connect with this particular group of people and support my ministry. I think that's that's uh, phenomenal. But um, as long as we realize that the call and the opportunity is not only for the, for this particular group of professionals, uh, but uh, this is something for us to try at home mm-hmm. and in our own churches and in our own experiences. So I would say the very life of of of, uh, of the gospel of the church is is at stake mm. uh, by us um, either uh, taking seriously uh, this call or this invitation or or just neglecting it. Mm. That's a good one. I I really appreciate you sharing that. I think that vision of what it means to be in the church or what the church can be, to me, I guess it, it becomes even clearer why you're at the helm right now in a time like this as the valley is getting more diverse, as the world is getting more diverse, especially metropolitan centers like Los Angeles or any of the urban centers, we know that population is, I mean, just it's, it's getting more dense in the urban centers. And so here you are in this season to remind us about the invitation that the gospel gives us to life and life more abundantly as we become in greater connection, like you said, in greater community in greater proximity to our sisters and brothers who are not quite not from the same cultural background that we are not i was gonna say not quite like us but it's not about not quite like us makes us the center of the story (laughs) they are not like us and and us is not the goal us as in like my cultural preferences are not the goal 
and us that creates cultural preference, that creates culture together, that's the goal, the beauty of walking together, where, which is why we have session, which is why we have different kind of uh, leadership structures that create so much space for diversity of voices that can create an us, that can create a culture of us, which is why it's important that that session, that those hubs for leadership also reflect cultural difference and gender difference and as much diversity as we can get into that space, we can create even more kind of diverse culture together. But all of that really reminds me of scripture and kind of the heartbeat of this podcast series, which is to think about Revelation 7-9. And we've already been doing it without naming it this way. But every episode, we're going to open up Revelation 7-9 and hear from different folks, their perspectives on it, how they hear it on the back end of this conversation where Juan has opened up his heart about his journey, some of the experiences that color how he navigates it, his hope for churches and the kingdom of God, the ways that we're called to love our neighbors and what that looks like. So here in Revelation, John has been on an island and he has this revelation and there are so many different interpretations of what this means. Is this for the future? Is this now? Was this about Nero? Was this, and all that is okay. All those things, we can research those and, and experience God and be drawn close to God and all of that. But here we are, I'm going to read this passage and John is describing something that he's seen in Revelation 7 that relates to diversity and the kingdom of God. John says, after this, I looked. Revelation 7, 9, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. They were crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders, the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne. They worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Today, Juan, when we think about diversity, when we think about comfort and experiencing life, like you said, what comes to you, what comes to your heart, what bubbles up in this moment from Revelation 7, 9? Well, first of all, what a beautiful reading, because that is precisely, I mean, uh, what uh, I believe inspires all in terms of, uh, of the, the people that um, are represented there, right? Uh, the breadth of the people that are at, uh, before the throne of the Lamb. I mean, look at um, uh, the previous passage talks about mm. <laughs> the, the tribes, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and, and certainly, I mean, the symbolism of it can be very different, can be our denomination, can be our, our sense of 
um, a pride in one way or another. Uh, 144,000, 12,000, it's counted there. But then, chap, then verse 9 kind of blows that up <laughs> into this thing that is beyond any, anyone's capacity to, to measure. Um, and and um, we, we, we use categories, uh, humanly speaking, to... to uh, identify ourselves one way or another and, mm-hmm. and, and, and and note that i mean the categories are still there i mean there are tribes and there are nations and there are tongues there are people languages all that but uh what matters most um is that they are they're present um that they are there before the throne of the lamb and mm. uh, and, and i think that's that is a captivating Image that is, you know, the consummation. Um, certainly, you you could you could look at it in different ways of how it, how it is happening. But for for us, we believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Has broken into history in the person of Jesus, um, and the peace and the justice of God is being made mm. evident um, among us. Um, even today. So we don't have to wait until that day because we pray our, your kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. Um, and, and so I think all of us uh, are, are invited uh, to this party, right? Yes. Uh, and to this celebration um, that goes, that is not about us and doesn't locate us at the center of everything, but mm. locate um, God at the center of everything, and God as the source of life and the source of our dignity as well. Wow. Mm, mm, mm. I'm taking a note here about what you said about <laughs> this posture does not locate ourselves at the center. It's so powerful. And I never really... This, this passage is so clearly about God at the center, but I've never felt it viscerally and to be honest to me that's not the the highest experience i have of it today i've never felt it this way before the way that i feel it right now the beauty we're talking every tribe every language so this is spanish portuguese french italian polish russian english i mean every language indigenous tribes and to be in this space so this image that we're given is that all of these people are worshiping or praising God, saying that salvation, this word of wholeness, both in body and in mind and in spirit, to be made whole, shalom, returning, this comes from our God. It belongs to our God, made possible and through the Lamb. But what, what's 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 crazy to me is that in this passage, the way that I imagine it right now, all these languages are crying out to God and praising God for that, the salvation and wholeness that has always been made possible, that we've encountered in you. And all of this diversity, the beauty of that actually causes the angels in the room to fall down. Like there's so much awe and wonder so these people are worshiping wholeheartedly, but their worship creates awe and wonder in the angels and all the elders and all the living creatures. So I've never seen that, that they're responding to 
this demonstration of diversity and worship and love towards God, it's so much that even the angels are debilitated with awe and wonder. They fall on their knees and they start to cry out. Like this demonstration of diversity causes them to say, amen, let it be so, let it be like this. May this be what it looks like. And they fall down on their knees, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power as always as speechless of all of this to God for this display of worship. I've never really imagined it that way, that those angels would respond to the diversity and the cultural expressions of worship in that room. Mm. That's powerful because it is a cosmological reality. I mean, it's we think it has only implications to, say, our congregation or our neighborhood or our San Fernando Presbyterian region. But, but the ripple effect uh, of, of what God is doing, I mean, uh, transcends. And, and, and it is the purpose of really bringing salvation, healing uh, to, to the entire creation. So it does have much to do with, um, with the entirety of creation. I think, I mean, uh, one thing I could look at is, for instance, Presbyterians, when arrived, the first Presbyterian Church of Los Angeles was established in 1855, were settlers into these lands that were occupied prior, priorly by the uh, Mexican um, uh, by the Mexican um, nation, the Republic, and and the Spanish Republic, but there were there were people uh, living here for thousands of years. Uh, I mean, um, we still, uh, I mean, although we sometimes choose to disregard that fact, um, mm-hmm. I, I believe that that for the well-being of our city and the well-being of our uh, our. our um, World, we need to uh, acknowledge um, the the reality of of those that were here before us as well, mm. those that are have um, uh, also that we see as the, the immigrant, the refugees, people that are coming. Uh, we we need to see uh, beyond ourselves, and and, and that's probably a, a blind spot uh, in our approach to mission. Uh, let's put it this way, um, uh, one that is centered around ourselves and how we can strengthen ourselves, which is not, you know, strengthen our institutions is a good thing. I mean, you and I have been to schools that are institutions, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yet yet um, we know that any institution, anything we could do is, is not, uh, sh- ought not to be centered on ourselves, but uh, recognize uh, God's purpose uh, through through the events and what's happening around us. Wow, that's that's really powerful. When you mention that the history of Los Angeles and the people who've been here, I think one of the feels like really practical ways that we embody diversity is to acknowledge each other's cultural differences. Sometimes that feels intimidating especially post-racial reckoning 2020, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, uh, George Floyd, all these things that really, it may raise 
a very central talking point, and then it became very delicate, and it became intimidating. So if I don't say the right thing, then that's a, a then I'm putting myself in a bad position. And for me, I'm thinking about uh, Brene Brown, doctor slash prophetess slash doctor slash prophetess again slash producer slash. <laughs> but I just, when I think about how she talks about empathy and empathy, it, there is no perfect way to do empathy. And I think when I think about our churches, we can think the same way about diversity. There's no silver bullet for diversity. There is no handbook for diversity. There is no, it's not going to look the same in every space. I love what you said about love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But what brings me to Brene Brown is when she talks about empathy, it is this step towards you in your experience that decenters my experience. So because you are in this space, she has a beautiful video on YouTube about it. But it's, it's me trying to enter into that space. And I might misstep. I might not like get it perfectly correct, the empathy that you want to experience. But for me to take those steps towards where you are is the ways that I can respond in empathy. So when I think about responding in diversity, I think about what steps can I take, like you said, to decenter my experience and even for me, as a multi-ethnic person, thinking about diversity, it just can't reflect my desires. And that's what makes me dependent on community. So it can't just be about me. It, I, I don't generate diversity. You cannot generate diversity in a silo. So if the voices that are creating culture, that are, that are planning the events at the church, that are thinking about the city, if they're, they're not as diverse as they can be, then you're not going to get as a diverse strategy or when you talked about sense of mission or sense of call, that discernment is happening through a silo. So mm -hmm. even when we try to discern in community, if that community is not as diverse as we can make it, then we're still going to get a less than awesome, yes, less than diverse, less than this wonder that was, I'm trying to think of the right word, literally just smack these angels upside their head. That's not the right word I was looking for. <laughs> this diversity that dumbfounds these angels. That's, that's what it took was this beautiful diversity. And I think that's what it takes in our communities in the world too. So when we look at an organization that is seemingly uncharacteristic, we say, what is happening there? I'm thinking about, um, what happened in uh, Massachusetts? Responding to your your sisters and brothers from Venezuela. What's this? What's oh. the the island out there called? Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard. When we look at Martha's Vineyard and we see this, what happened? We could talk all about the background, but the the forensic. Let's get to the the basis of it. In twenty seven, a bunch of immigrants are flown to Martha's Vineyard with zero like preparation, but this community responds around them, resources them, demonstrates love, centers their needs. And it, it creates to me from the outside looking in, there's so many politics around that. And I get all that. Mm. But, but to me, when I think about what creates awe and wonder is that kind of behavior where people are buying phones for people and caring for people. I think there's $300,000 in a, in some in a fund that's designed to help these folks make a life yeah There's, 
But that creates awe and wonder when we can become a picture of, wow, those people are not centering their own things. That doesn't seem like business as usual. That doesn't seem like church as usual over there. Something is different about what's happening, how it's happening, who is centered, the voices, how they function, how they worship. Something's different. And that calls our attention. So for me, I, I think about all that when you mention that. Mm-hmm. How do we acknowledge the, the, the history? How do we acknowledge one another in our communities? Absolutely. I thank you for mentioning that, Mark, because it is very near and dear to my heart, as you would know. Uh, Venezuela, uh, the reality of people turning against each other has been catastrophic. Talking about awe-inspiring, I mean, uh, if community, if a new community, kingdom community, kinship community, is, 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 um, uh, is something that, that, that uh, motivates um, the awe of angels. Uh, also, I mean, the, the, the implications of enmity and lack of engagement uh, and lack of respect and, and dismissing uh, other people's dignity can be disastrous. And, and, and we've experienced that. And uh, I mean, uh, many of the people that would have been uh, taken to Martha's Vineyard would have probably crossed several countries and probably yeah. see people die. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of their companions die along the way. So this yeah. is for us, uh, you know, very difficult to relate to because we think, oh, well, there's just a trip from one state to another. But Yeesh. think of that level of uncertainty. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, that that uh, these fellow human beings are experiencing. Many of them fellow Christians. Others might not be, but they are mm. made in the image of God. Come on, and, Juan. And, and and the church responding, um, not for the sake of of creating, um, uh, drawing the attention of media, but responding because that is what Jesus wants us to do. Um, uh, I mean, that is. Um, that is, in my view, a beautiful uh, reflection of, of who God is uh, as the one that welcomes us uh, ultimately uh, and, 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 and invites us into the table. Uh, and, and so, wow. yeah, politics can be complicated. I'm not, <laughs> I'm glad I haven't. I'm not being. Uh, I haven't been elected to uh, to 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 uh, sort those things out. But mm-hmm. at, at, at the level of church, uh, we are certainly invited to respond uh, in very tangible and practical ways. Mm. That's beautiful, Juan. I think we're coming to the close of our conversation, and I'm really thinking about the trajectory of what we've talked about, your story as someone who's had multiplicity of experiences, learning English as a third language, being from Venezuela, your personal experiences that you bring to this leadership role in this extraordinarily diverse presbytery, the ideas and dreams and sense of call towards diversity. That is not monolithic that you think about, okay, what does this look like? How does this community, how does, and there's this so many churches, how does each one make steps towards decentering maybe what feels comfortable and putting the interests and cultures and comforts of those different than themselves as a priority? And we come into this passage where this extraordinary display of worship 
of diverse worship brings angels to their knees. And then we've talked about what that can actually look like in the world. And we talked about kind of a, a current, a current-ish event about how that, how does on wonder loving a neighbor, loving someone from a different cultural experience create awe and wonder and draw people towards the presence of God and the image of Christ. It's so incredible. One, <laughs> as we kind of come into this space of conclusion, share with us what you see the church, the Presbytery. I don't even know how, because we're all, I mean, whether you're Presbyterian or not, ladies and gentlemen, we still got brothers and sisters who are reflecting the kingdom. So it's not just based on the Presbytery, but your, tell me the vision. What does it look like when we get diversity right? What is the what does the presbytery look like? What does it feel like? How are people compelled into this kingdom by our behavior? Right. Well, that reminds me of I mean, they'll know that we are Christians by our love, right? They'll mm. know that the Father sent me because of how you love one another. And and, and um, the people of God goes beyond certainly Thanks be to God that goes beyond any particular denomination, right? We, we affirm one church, one people of God. And, mm. and, and, and so uh, we are just an expression of it, and we want to be um, a faithful expression of it. Um, and, uh, but I'm beginning to see good things. I mean, uh, Mark, you are part of that uh, very yeah. much. Yeah. Kingship Collective is part of that. Mm. It's a space for listening um, listening to how God speaks, the Spirit is speaking through our sisters and brothers um, and, and in their own locations mm -hmm. and saying, God, how, how we could be, how can I be enriched by this? And, mm. and yes, bring who I am and who you've made me to be uh, to this table. Mm -hmm. I'm, seeing happen, I'm seeing happening at different levels, uh, new worshiping communities for Hindo Pakistani people that are very much becoming very much part of, of who mm. we are, uh, an increase in the number of new worshiping communities um, of, uh, of people of, of Spanish uh, speaking uh, that are dominant Spanish speaking uh, uh, sisters and brothers. Um, I, I see it, but this is not, and I, I, I'm I'm aware of the fact that this can be interpreted as this as quota type of fulfilling. Mm -hmm. We're not, we are called to fulfill God's purposes, right? And uh, and called to live into a fuller expression of God's uh, reign, God's kingdom, God's purposes. Um, this is not uh, something, uh, I, I mean, I tell my son, you know, this is, there's nothing surprising about a church that brings people from different ethnicities because school does mm. already, right? Colleges. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you work, most, most of us work with people that are uh, uh, from different yep. ethnicities and language Absolutely, and cultures, yeah. right? So there is something distinctive in, in loving one another as oneself mm. um, and, 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 and coming into a closer intimacy, life of togetherness mm. in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Uh, that that is what the church is called to. So, if you think, okay, you're, we're going to at least move towards uh, um, 
attaining a kind of um, representation that other institutions have in order to catch up with the times, that's good. But that's not our primary call. It is really uh, to embody um, what, what is expressed here in Revelation. Center about God, uh, about mm. Christ, and that's what we call it, Christ-centered uh, diversity. Mm. Um, we are called to, to live lives of real love and commitment to one mm. another. I love that, one. What I hear you saying is when we get this right, we embody love for others. It's not just representation. It's not just tokenism. It just becomes close-knit, Christ-centered relationships. You cut, I bleed. What matters to you matters to me. What matters to me matters to you. We move together. That's the invitation of community that the Spirit guides us on, that Christ embodied, and that you are helping to push the presbytery towards in your leadership with your direction. Juan, I'm so thankful for you sharing thankful for your time, but I'm thankful that you're the person that God has called in this moment. The way, how thoughtfully you think of things, how, I think how biblically you think of things, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. It's very helpful. I think that that is what we need, these reminders. And not just biblical, but I think Christologically. I think about your, <laughs> you know, your, your supremacy of Christ feels so evident. Juan, I'm so grateful for you, for your time. For those of you who are listening, we're grateful for your time. I'm grateful for you in the ways that you will be provoked to listen and to, I think that God is going to invite you into how do I center myself less? I know I personally feel that invitation right now. It doesn't matter if I'm a person of color or what level of marginalization or, or off-centeredness that I'm experiencing my invitation in loving my neighbor as myself is still the same. Whether I'm black, white, brown, Puerto Rican, or Asian, for those of you who are uh, rap fans, um, but it's still the same invitation. And what I love is that when we begin to do that, when my personal family budget begins to reflect my neighbors, when the ways that I make decisions and the ways that I vote begins to reflect my neighbors, People will will sense that, they'll feel that love, and the kingdom will be unveiled. And that kind of love, not only does it bring angels to their knees, but it brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control in my own life so that I'm experiencing the God kind of abundant life that Jesus promised and invites us into. So I love that this conversation lands there, Juan, under your direction and leadership. We're so, so grateful. We will talk to y'all next time on the next episode of Realizing Revelation 7-9. Peace, y'all.